wanted to read an extract from a, a poem by T.S. Eliot called Choruses from the Rock. Captures something, I think, of, of our society, even though it was written in 1934. What life have you if you have not life together? There is no life that is not in community. And no community not lived in praise of God. Even the anchorite who meditates alone, for whom the days and nights repeat the praise of God, prays for the church, the body of Christ incarnate. And now you live dispersed on ribbon roads. And no man knows or cares who is his neighbour, unless his neighbour makes too much disturbance. But all dash to and fro in motor cars, familiar with the roads and settled nowhere. Nor does the family even move about together. But every son would have his motorcycle and daughters ride away on casual pillions. It's a really, it's a really striking poem. If you Google that, Choruses from the Rock by T.S. Eliot, just, just captures so much. And I, I love that because it, it captures something of our society today that is so fragmented. So broken down into, into little bits and pieces of, of here and there and, and preferences. Even here in the countryside where there is perhaps a greater sense of community. Even in a small village of 500 people like Fivehead, there are still people who are lonely and alone. Let alone in bigger places, towns and cities. Broken families, broken relationships have become very much an everyday reality. And individualism, the notion of my choice being of supreme importance, what I want, my rights, what I deserve even, to the detriment of others to the detriment of community, to the detriment of church. Those things reign very strongly in our society. And as we look at the church this morning, I I hope that we can just look quite broadly at the church. I I, I listened to something during the week and uh, discovered that uh, it was the first of 12 Sunday morning services all about the church. There's plenty to say about the church. We've got half an hour or so, maybe even a bit less. But I I hope that there'll be stuff here that we can just begin to really think anew about the church. Because actually so much of that individualism that is out in our society, in our daily lives, has crept in to the church. I'd have to say, in the, in the early part of, 
of uh, this century in the 2000s, the noughties, I suppose we might call it, I I went through a really quite significant period of time quite disenchanted with church. I couldn't quite connect with church as I was working. Didn't seem to, to be relevant to me. Did you hear something there? Didn't seem to be relevant to me. And I wrestled with it. I guess God in his grace just walked with me through those days with a very understanding wife. And, and we kind of got more involved in stuff and, and that helped us so much to, to just be a part of, of the church that we were a part of. In fact, it was so much so that ended up going and training for ministry at long last. Another story. But I, I, I knew that, that church I, I resonated a little bit with what Rob was saying this morning. It just didn't seem to connect with me. I guess often in the media it's portrayed as ineffectual or downright corrupt, isn't it? And it doesn't seem very appealing. And I think it's become quite common in this day and age to actually try and divorce being a Christian from being a part of the church. Lots of people can, can say, hand on heart, I, I, I'm a Christian but I don't need to go to church. And they're very serious about that, often because of disenchantment, but maybe because of fear. Maybe because they've allowed the, the me to become supreme. It's not uncommon for us to have people flip from church to church to church. I read in a book, I'm, I'm halfway through a book, which I'll, I'll lend to anyone that, that would like it afterwards. Why Church Matters by Joshua Harris. He speaks of church dating and serial church dating. And how so often pastors are, are under the impression that they're only two services away from somebody leaving because actually a couple of duff services and I'll go somewhere else. Of course, there are times when we have to make difficult decisions to, to move on. Because actually, churches, church leaders, people in churches are imperfect people. And we make mistakes. I make mistakes. But as we look today at church, I just want us to look at three questions. The pedantic amongst us might say there's four, if you have a little look on the sheet. Because there's, what is the church? We're going to look at that first of all. Then who belongs to the church and how? All right, it's two questions, but it's in the same line. And then what is the church for? And I hope that these things give us something to really just get our teeth into, to be thinking about, to be praying about, maybe to be continuing in conversation. Some of you may remember a couple of weeks ago I said, next week, I'd love for us to have a kind of a question and answer time in the service that looks at the ten areas of the big picture that we've looked at from creation and the fall, Jesus coming, Jesus dying and ascending into heaven, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the final victory of God and the church being some of the themes that we've looked at. And I've said, kind of chickenly, 
that if you could give me the questions in advance, that would be awesome, because then I could think about them. But if you could at least have thought about questions that you have, so that maybe you can help us to think together. Maybe it will be about me addressing questions, or maybe we'll, we'll sit around tables next week, and we might even have donuts. That would be good, wouldn't it, really? But, but we might just be able to, to help one another to talk through some of the things that, that, that have come up over these last ten weeks. Steve faithfully puts the sermons on the website every week, so please, if there's one that you've missed, please do have a look and a listen and a think ahead of next week. And uh, let that be a time where we can just move forward together, thinking about some of these things together. There we go. First question, what is the church? Short answer, you. Me. It's us. We are church. Slightly longer answer is you, yes, me, yes, all who believe that Jesus is Lord and want to seek to follow him. The church is God's idea. It's not a human invention. We've interpreted it, yes. We've mucked around with it, yes. We've tried to be faithful to God's idea, yes. But it is God's idea. Actually, it goes right back to Genesis. God's promise to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. It was brought to being in Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And kicked off, as we read in the book of Acts, with those first followers of Jesus. There's lots of images we could look at to try to, to describe the church. Two or three I'd just like to, to share with you. Here's, here's the first image. Maybe close your eyes a second and just think of a, one of these fantastic aerial views you can get of a river like the, the Mississippi or the Amazon. Huge, great, majestic river seen from right up in space. It's like veins all coming together as, as the tributaries of different rivers all join into that one great river. You can open your eyes again in case you fall asleep. The church is like a river. It has one source, which is Jesus. But as the church grows, so there are so many different branches that all come in and join that source and it becomes a bigger and bigger and bigger thing. See, as Jesus opened up his church to every tongue, tribe and nation, so all these tributaries were, were invited to become a part of, of the church. It's kind of a picture of, of diversity, all these kind of spread eagle things, all coming to unity, all in one place, ultimately, in Jesus. Another image, maybe you want to close your eyes again. I'm not trying to make you go to sleep, but sometimes picturing it in your mind's eye is helpful. Think of a really beautiful oak tree, or any tree, it doesn't have to be an oak tree. 
Think of a beautiful oak tree. It's another image of the church. Again, there's a single source. If it was an oak tree, it was an acorn. But again, God planted the seed in Jesus. You can open your eyes again if you like. And to start with, there's a single stem, isn't there? On an oak tree. It becomes a trunk. And then as it grows, it branches out and spreads out in all different directions. And there are twigs and there are branches and there are leaves and there are fruit. And the church is a bit like that too. Out of the unity of the trunk can grow diversity of all of us. Different people, as Rob was talking about. Different gifts and talents. Different backgrounds. Different church traditions. It's not particularly original image, the, the, the tree, because actually Jesus in, in John chapter 15 speaks of himself as the vine and we are the branches. And he says how we need to remain in him because we are part of the vine. But the, the gardener, our heavenly father, sometimes prunes the vine, prunes bits off, prunes bits of our life off that, that maybe are not helping guess to take the, the image of the oak tree. Sometimes in a big storm, twigs and branches will fall off of that tree. People will fall away. But the tree has deep roots. And that's a very hopeful image for the church. Because it's not of human invention. Third image is communion. Should have moved that really. Third image is, is, is in communion. It's, it's, it's there in the body of Christ. As we see bread, which will break, representing Jesus' body. And the blood of Christ represented in this fruit juice. Grape juice. Paul draws on that imagery of Jesus giving his body, actually giving us the church as the body of Christ. Again, it speaks of unity, of one body, and yet diversity, with each part of the body having many parts to play. It's an image that, that speaks prophetically into our society. It speaks of a different way into our society, where we do lean so heavily towards individualism. The church is made up of individuals. Each of us does need to come to a decision to follow Jesus. But we don't remain individuals. We become part of a body. Just think about it for a minute. Your hand. Your hand is only truly able to be your hand when it coordinates with your arm and your sinews and your muscles and the blood vessels and the skin and all of that. It's only truly a hand when it's connected to the rest of the body, ultimately to the brain. A hand is pretty much useless if it's on its own, chopped off. 
it'll wither and die. And so the image of the body of Christ is, is beautiful because actually we're only truly free to be what we are meant to be when we are joined together as a body, you and me. Perhaps you turn with me to um, 1 Peter and chapter 2. find it before I do. 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, what page is that? If you've got a pew Bible um, and you get there really quick, because there's always speedy people and there's always others that are kind of getting a bit panicked, which is absolutely fine. There's an index at the front. Use the index. It's no problem. Sorry? 1218. Okay, so if you've got a pew Bible, it'd be brilliant if you, if you, for it to open that, but it's on the screen as well. 1218. Just want to read another piece of scripture, which is so fantastically helpful in speaking of the church. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And the stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they're destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, But now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. chosen people. We're a holy nation. We belong to God. The church is a community of people who belong together, 
Not because of a particular preference in, in clothing or a particular preference in, in ways of worship, but because we belong to God. We're not born into it. We have no right to it. But by God's sheer undeserved generosity, we are offered to be a part of the community of God. I guess we've kind of edged into number two, looking at who belongs to the church and how. Maybe step back a moment just as we think about that. We've already seen it. We've seen it in, in 1 Peter. There's lots of stuff there about who belongs to the church. But step back a minute and just think. You might think I'm a bit obsessed with sleeping this morning. But how did you wake up this morning? How do you wake up morning by morning? Are you the sort of person when the alarm bell goes off, it's bing, adrenaline going, yes, I'm up for the day. Well, hey, oh, what a beautiful morning. La, 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 la. Or are you? Oh, oh, really? Where actually there is a period of time, undefined, could stretch into hours, where you're not actually too sure whether you're awake or asleep. I can genuinely remember uh, what one job I had. I had a 40-minute commute to work, to drive. And I can genuinely remember on numerous mornings arriving and thinking, how? I, I, I don't remember. So tired was I from small children. I, I just got there on automatic pilot somehow. So how, how we wake up, actually to some extent it is relevant, how we wake up is perhaps a little bit of a, a, a look into how we belong to the church. See, in Jewish culture, the idea of, of being asleep was, was associated with being dead. And the idea of being awake was associated with life. And so Paul used that in Ephesians and in other of his letters, where, where in, in Ephesians 5 he says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's kind of making that illusion between waking from sleep and coming to life in Christ. For some of us, perhaps we will be people who, in an instant, recognise that Jesus is Lord and I need to follow him all the days of my life. Boom! Paul was a pretty good example of that, wasn't it? On, on the Damascus Road, he had an incredible encounter. And really, from that moment on, his life was changed. Some of you may have had that kind of encounter. And, and metaphorically speaking, the alarm clock went and you awoke. For others of you, perhaps a journey to, to Christian faith has been a little bit more like a haze where you're not quite sure whether you've quite woken up yet. And maybe one day you suddenly realise that, that instead of kind of being 
kind of looking at, at, at Christian faith from the outside, suddenly you realise actually you had stepped into a faith in Jesus. And you hadn't even realised it. Because it had been so gradual. And so who belongs to the church is a little bit difficult because actually we are so different it's sometimes hard to know where we are on a journey. But we belong to the church in the truest sense when we decide that we need to follow Jesus' call to wake up and follow him. But actually it's really important in that belonging that we're able to bring along folk who are perhaps not quite sure yet and include them and, and give, give a sense of belonging, a community where it's okay to belong even if I don't quite know where I'm at. But in its truest sense, the church, belonging to the church is about following Jesus, made up of people who are agents of God's love, his healing. People who are engaged in God's plan for putting the world to rights, but who are constantly aware that they too need to be put to rights. And we make a mistake so often, don't we? Because I think as Christians, sometimes we can think, well, we've arrived. Boom, it's the rest of the world that's got a problem. But actually, we're here if we follow Jesus by the grace of God. I am still being put to rights day by day, hour by hour. The church is full of people who respond to the call of love from Jesus and are summoned to obedience. Obedience to the God who loves us who died for us and calls us to be ever more like him. Not by trying our very hardest to be good, but by saying, God, help me. By the power of your spirit, help me. Change me. Transform that, that anger that rises in me that makes me want to punch my employer. Help me not to do that. Help me to be gracious to my children. Help me to serve my wife. Help me to love my fellow church members. Whatever it is that you need help with, may that be a journey of walking with God, asking his spirit to help us. But ultimately, the church is made up of followers of Jesus. How we belong? Well, in some senses, again, it's kind of blurry around the edges. And I think that's down to our traditions, how we've kind of made things and tried to work things out in our humanity. But actually, fundamentally, how we become a member of the church is expressed in baptism. Because in baptism, we are brought into God's story. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
We identify ourselves as belonging to God and on a mission. But again, let's be careful because baptism is not the point of arrival. Actually, it's the point of departure. It's the, the start of a journey. And we have a responsibility then to live out what God has called us to do in our lives. So whether we were baptised as infants and see that our, our journey into adulthood has been one where we seek to serve and follow Jesus, or whether we've been baptised as believers, as is our tradition here, it's still a point of departure. There's not a kind of a, a pecking order, and there's not a point of, well, I've arrived, I can just sit back and be cushy now. But I carry on following Jesus. Gosh, time's running away. What's church for? Better go on to that one. Three things really quickly. What is church for? Good question, I hear you say. Three things I think that uh, we can identify that church is for. Number one, and primarily, it's to worship God. We are made to worship God. And church is made to worship God. That's not just about singing songs. It's not just about coming to communion. It's not just about Sundays, it's about worshipping God with our whole lives. But being a part of a church where we are enabled and encouraged to worship God. Second thing that church is for is working for his kingdom. It's all about me. No, it's not. It's about his kingdom. It's all about you, Jesus. As if you should do things my way. You alone are God and I surrender to your will. As Rob mentioned, go into all the world and make disciples. Baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28. The church is about mission. The church is about saying to the world in which we live. Jesus is good news. Jesus came to die for you because he loves you and he wants you to be the person that he created you to be in his image. And you don't have to walk away from him and ignore him and say, I know how to do it all without any reference to God. You can come to him and you can. Walk with him. That's why things like the stable are so important. Because it's about mission. It's about looking outward. It's about saying, we as a church are here and we want to serve our community. We want to love our community. We want to draw alongside our community. We want to share the love of Jesus with our community. And we can't do that if we're just kind of gathered into ourselves. Forgive me if you're visiting, you're not sure what the stable is. The stable is a cafe that we run uh, four days a week that's in the building next door. If you want to have a look at it, we'll open it up because you'd be very welcome to have a little look and see what we're doing. It's a really exciting thing and it's hard work. In it, Margaret? In it, Lorna? <laughs> Our two duty managers, the other ones are away at the minute. But 
fab people here actually that are able to work in the stable and do all sorts of things. It's important. Even if nobody turns up that day, it's important. So many churches are dying because their focus is inward. It's on preserving a tradition. It's on preserving something that's familiar and comfortable. And somewhere in that, not that any of the traditions are particularly wrong in themselves, but they become the thing. And Jesus gets squeezed out. And it just becomes about my way of doing it. And for so many people, they just can't connect with that. They don't understand. We expect people to come in. And even here where it's quite relaxed, probably for, for, for folk that are visiting for the first time, there may be things that we say and do which you think, what? What's that all about? Like Eric, for example, which is actually the children's way of giving to, to support children uh, in South America. So it's just a kind of a part of the offering. But what's that about if you came and didn't know? Churches very quickly can become a wee bit impenetrable, can't they? Church is about mission. Mission means being sent into our workplaces, into our families, into our streets, into our supermarkets and blessing the person in front who is being terribly slow. Maybe even offering to help them. Maybe that is part of your mission this week. And the third thing is seeing one another grow. There's loads of one another's in the New Testament. Love one another. Encourage one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Pray for one another. Pray with one another. Learn from one another. Set example for one another. Build one another up. See, church is not about pursuing my spiritual agenda. Nor is it about finding a safe haven. Maybe of of, of like-minded people where we can be safe from the wicked world. Maybe the the byproduct of churches, we'll find fellowship and safety. Maybe we'll see, God willing, personal spiritual growth. But it's not about me, it's about God. Announcing his kingdom, worshipping him, being transformed by him. So that's what the church is for, for worship, for mission, for building one another up. At the bottom of your little sheet, we've got, and so? Really conscious we've run out of time. But let's be encouraged, actually. But let's not be smug. There are some good things going on in this church. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. But there is a sense in which we've got the idea that we need to be missional. We need to worship. We need to try and build one another up. We've got a long way to go. But we're kind of going in the right general direction, God willing. But we must guard against being complacent. Against saying, we got it. We're good. We don't need to do anything anymore. Because actually we're in the midst of a battle and Satan would love for us to take our guard down 
and just sit back and kick back and relax and become complacent. Let me ask some questions to finish with. Are we centred on Jesus? Am I centred on what Jesus wants for my life and for my part in the church? A worship of God, a mission to the world central to what we do? Am I living a life of obedience to God 